So yeah, we are picking up where Marvin left off last week. Uh, And in fact, Marvin left off last week praying, uh, and then a few members of the congregation prayed that God would increase our, or give us a hunger for his word as food. And I actually want to begin the service the exact same way that we left off. So can we just pray that God would give us a hunger and amplify our hunger for his word? Father, we are all um, needy when it comes to your word. We, we are desperate to be sustained and satisfied in the things that you have to say. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move amongst us right now and that you would um, produce a hunger for genuine food, the genuine, the real food of your word. And ultimately, God, I just I yield my, my tongue, my mind, my heart to you, and I pray that you would communicate through me well enough to satisfy our hunger in the next few minutes. I yield this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, we're in this series, uh, this larger series of do one thing and then this sub-series which is on Bible engagement and the analogy that we've drawn is that, that the word of God is food for us. Now last week Marvin gave us six ways that we can eat the word of God. Can anybody remember any of the six ways? Let's see if we can get all six of them. Last service got five. Let's see if we can get six. What is one of the ways that Marvin gave that we can eat the word of God last week? Just holler it out. I heard memorize. I heard listener here and I heard meditation. Give me another one. Well, that's way too many. I'm not that good at hearing. How about one, that's the second one. The first one was hear it. The second one was read it. And then, uh, did we do the third one? No, we haven't heard, had done the third one yet. What's that? Study. And then there's one more. It was at the end. Did somebody say write it down? Yeah, write it down. Six for six. I'm going to rub it in their faces next time. But we are meant to actually consume the word of God. We're actually to take it inside of us. And today we're going to start by Jesus talks about this idea of taking food inside of us, but he puts a little bit of a different twist on it. In John 6, verses 48 through 58, this is Jesus talking to his disciples and to many of his followers. Listen to what he says. He says, I am the bread of life. So not just the word of God, but the thing is, Jesus is also the word of God. John 1.1 calls him the word of God. There's some, not exactly a synonymous relationship between the the written word of God and Jesus as the word of God, but they are essentially the same thing. They are what God has to say to us. Jesus' life is what he has to say to us, but the, the, the Holy Scriptures as the Holy Spirit has given them to us is essentially the same thing. But he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. What is manna? Manna is this thing that, ha- that occurred during the Old Testament times when Moses was called to lead the people out of Israel, out of captivity and bondage, and into the promised land. But there was this transitional period of the wilderness. They went through a wilderness phase on the way to the promised land. And there was no food for them in the wilderness. So the Lord fed them. 
how did he feed them? He fed them with this thing called manna. And basically every day, manna would come down from heaven and it would be like dew on the ground. And it was enough to sustain the Israelites in their journey through the wilderness. They could gather up enough to make a meal for a day. They couldn't have any extra, otherwise it would rot, it would spoil. But they were able to be fed directly from God by this thing called manna. But they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Now Jesus is talking back about himself. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So this isn't just something that Jesus is going to make. It's something he's going to give of himself that we can consume it. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're still thinking in literal, physical terms. We're we're not thinking in literal, physical terms. We're thinking with spiritual minds. We're trying to observe this with spiritual eyes and hear it with spiritual words. When we're talking about the word of God being bread for us, we're not talking about sitting down and eating the pages of Scripture. We're talking about consuming its ideas, consuming its narrative, consuming its philosophies, and letting it become something that goes down inside us and metabolizes. But the Jews are sitting there thinking literally, and it doesn't do them any good. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Again, Jesus is not talking literally, he's talking spiritually. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I'm in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So we had the six ways that we can eat of the word of God. They were, they were, Hear, read, study, memorize, meditate, write. But I kind of want to draw this illustration out just a little bit more and, and enhance it and amplify it. So this morning, I couldn't sleep all that well. I ended up getting up at 4.30 and took a shower, got ready, and I decided to make myself a meal because one of the reasons that I was having a hard time sleeping is because my stomach was growling. I was hungry. I didn't eat dinner last night. don't know what I was thinking, but I was hungry. So I started making myself a meal. I got out this awesome cast iron pan that I inherited from my grandma. This thing was built in the 1930s, okay? It's nickel plated, it has 60 years of seasoning on it. You cannot get anything to stick on it no matter how hard you try, it's perfect. Got it, like slow is better, so I medium heat, low heat, and got it warming up. And then I got out my cast iron griddle because I knew I was going to make a little bit of extra something, something. I put that off to the side, got that one warming up too. Then I got three pieces of thick cut peppered bacon from my brother's best friend. His name is Aaron Rutgers. He has a Rutgers Farms or whatever. He has pigs that he raises and we got half of a pig once. And some of it was, a lot of it was bacon. 
So I put some bacon on there, and that's the best way to get the pan all like non, I mean, bacon fat is the best non-stick too. So getting it going, and now the kitchen's smelling really good, like peppered bacon. I don't know how my kids slept through this. I wouldn't have. But I got the bacon going, and then on the other, on the griddle, I thought I need to get something on there so that this thing's not sticky either. And so I put some sausage on there, some breakfast sausage, and we'll get that warming up. And as, you know, both of them are getting browned up, and I like bacon right in between burnt and like that, you know that perfect phase where some of it's chewy, but some of it's crispy? It's perfectly pink. It's not dried out. If you cook it too long, it's all dried out or it's burnt. So I got it to that spot, pulled that off. Sausage is perfectly ready. Pans are both greased. Pulled the sausage off. And then I got some diced potatoes and I put them in the bacon grease. And I kind of scraped up all of that extra little bit of bacon so that it's kind of running in with the potatoes and everything. And now the potatoes are browning up. And then it was cold this morning, but it's worth it. So I, I had my pajamas on and I ran outside with no shirt, ran to the chicken coop because we have chickens and ducks and guineas and stuff. And I moved a couple chickens out of the way and I grabbed a couple eggs and I went back inside and I cracked the eggs, scrambled them all up. And now the potatoes are nice and browning and they're, they're, they're smelling really good. They're getting firm, crispy on the outside, still a little bit tender on the inside. And then I poured the eggs over top of the potatoes, and I just kind of roughed it all together. Nice little breakfast scramble. And as that got ready, I took my sausage, and I poured it back in there and mixed it all up. And as it was simmering down and, and just about ready, I sprinkled on some Colby Jack cheese. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I'm a big fan of the, the contrast between savory and sweet, so I need something sweet to go with this. And I thought, French toast. I love French toast. I'm going to make me some French toast on the griddle. It's all greased up ready. But I don't make just regular old French toast where you get some bread and whatever. That's boring. I take a block of cream cheese, and I soften it, whip it up. And then a few years ago, we tapped all of our maple trees, and we got, like, real maple syrup. We got several gallons of maple syrup, and I still have some of that. It doesn't go bad. I grab some maple syrup, pour it into the cream cheese, soften it all together, mix it up really good. So now I got a nice sweetened maple syrup cream cheese mixture. And then I grabbed some sourdough bread from my friend who has started a bread company. And like I know she takes this seriously and she lets the bread ferment for 48 hours and does all the right stuff. Grab some sourdough bread, real thick with the cream cheese in between the two pieces. And now I got a sandwich of cream cheese and sourdough bread. And then I got the batter and there's, you know, a couple more eggs in there. There's some milk in there. There's some cinnamon. There's some vanilla extract. Whip it all up. And I made myself some stuffed French toast, which is delicious. Put it on the griddle. Let it get going. The cream cheese is getting gooey inside. The outside is getting nice and brown. You guys are getting hungry. <laughs> 9.15 was coming right off of breakfast, so they were okay. You guys are like, oh, geez, lunch. But... You can't just have the French toast like that. You got to have something on top of it. So, Horrocks spiced peaches to the rescue. Got out a couple spiced peaches halves, and I sliced them all up, and I, then I put them on top. This is going to be a good meal. I got the eggs to, or the uh, the orange juice to go with it. Like this is perfect. I might put a little bit of hot sauce or some sour cream on there. I might put a dollop of whipped cream on top of the French toast. That's going to be a good meal. Over here, I have an 89-cent cup of noodles that I picked up from Meyer on the way back, or on the way in. And during 
the last song, my friend Andrea Maynard poured some boiling water in here. Cup of noodles, ramen noodles. Do you have any idea how risky it is to take a bite of this with a beard like this in front of everybody? Which of those two meals is of more nutritional value to me right now? The one that I ate. This meal's gonna be good. It's got some nutritional stuff in there. There's some sugars in there and some grease and stuff like that, but it's, it's natural food. Worthless, because I didn't eat it. I put it on a tray, I brought it here, I showed it off, I talked about it, I described it, I studied the method for making it, I didn't eat it. It's worthless to me. Through the word of God and through the son of God, the Holy Spirit serves us meals for our nourishment, but we need to actually consume them and let them metabolize in our lives. So as we talk about this and as we draw out this analogy of the word of God being food for us, I have three basic observations that I want to to notice and just call our attention to. The first one is this. Unconsumed meals eventually rot and they stink. If week after week after week, the teachers and preachers here brought in a new meal and just kept leaving them there and no one ate. Eventually, the preacher's not going to be comfortable up here because it's going to rot and stink, and eventually, we're not going to be able to come in this building at all. Unconsumed meals rot, and eventually, they stink. What am I, what is, what am I trying to say with that? If all we're doing is hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on, and writing out the scripture with no intention of letting it take effect in our lives and letting it get down into our souls and into our spirits and changing the way that we live, we are just building elaborate meals, getting them ready, and then letting them sit there so that they can rot and stink. And if that's all we've done, our lives stink. Now, there's actually a little bit of a danger in here, especially for preachers and teachers, because in a lot of ways, we do have to, as preachers and teachers, we do have to prepare meals that we may not necessarily eat. So we have to prepare things that are for someone else to sit down and eat. But if preachers and teachers are not regularly eating their own meals, they're just stuffing meals into their closets, that's when you see preachers and teachers get toxic and their lives start to stink. We as preachers and teachers who are trying to make meals for others need, need to be consuming them ourselves. This isn't just for a certain segment of the Christian population. Second observation I want to draw out of this analogy is that these quick, basic meals are enough to survive, but they're not enough to thrive. So I can get by 
on ramen noodles. I have before. I'm going through some periods where that's what I had. But it's not enough to thrive. It's not enough for full health. We need to mature and we need to become more sophisticated in our nutrition and in our diets. So what am I trying to say here? We need to add variety to our consumption of the word of God. All too often, we as Christians will get into our little echo chambers to where we only pay attention to the doctrines and the theologies that we already believe and we're not gonna embrace any new interpretation or any new understanding that doesn't already align with our current understanding of the Bible. If that's what we're doing, then we're just eating one single kind of thing. But the word of God is rich with all different kinds of of flavors and all different kinds of textures, and we can apply them, and they're useful for different things. If we're only eating one thing, then our life is going to get out of balance, and we will not have the maximum amount of health, and and we will not obtain the maximum amount of nutrition out of the word of God. Now, I'm not trying to imply that we should be bringing in all different kinds of worldly philosophies or other worldly religions or something like that. I'm talking about out of the word of God, there is plenty of variety. And then the third observation that I want to draw out of this analogy is that there's more to living than just eating. There's more to life. There's more to living than just consumption. We are designed to take the nourishment from the word of God and apply it to our lives and then go be productive with it. It's energy, not just energy so that we can sit there and store it up. It's energy so that we can do something with it, so that we can serve our fellow man, serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. A spiritually sedentary lifestyle is highly unhealthy. So we don't just sit there and eat and eat and eat and eat. What happens when we just sit there eating and eating and eating and eating and we don't ever actually do anything? We're not meant to just consume until we balloon out and then get into this space where all we're doing is hedonistically gratifying our own, only ourselves. We're designed to go out into the world serving one another off of the nutrition and the energy that we obtain from the meals of God's word that we consume. So Jesus comes along and he says, I am the bread of life. Consume my life. Consume what I am laying down for you. Out of the word of God, out of his life, and the example that he has laid out for us. Later on he says, in verse 66 of the same chapter, he says, or it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is a hard teaching. Consume my life. Consume what I'm laying down for you. Why is it, why is this so hard? Why is this conversation about consuming the word of God so hard for us to actually stick with him? What, what about it makes it hard? Well, here's what it is. The Bible is loaded with stuff that runs contrary to what I want to do. It's that simple. I want to control my life. 
The original sin is essentially, I want to be God. I want to be the one who determines and dictates the rules and the order and the balance for my life. And the Bible says, no, eat me, consume me, take my life within you. You see, ultimately, our behavior reveals our core values. We can say that we love God. We can read the Bible. We can study it. We can memorize it. We can meditate on it. We can do all of these things, but our behavior tells us who we really are. I can talk about meals and prepare meals, and I can, I can study it. I can come up with all the best ingredients, and I can source everything exactly appropriately, but I need to get the word of God out of my hands and into my life, into my body, into my soul, into my spirit, where it can actually do some good. But that's a letting go of control. All too often, our core value is not actually becoming more submitted to the will and the pleasure of Christ. Our core value is that we would have control. But eating is this messy enterprise where we get our hands dirty, and we get into something, and we try, and we apply it, and we take it into us. It's antithetical to control. Genuine consumption is a form of letting go of control. In fact, Jesus says in another passage in Luke 6, 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's completely contrary to our sense of propriety and our sense of control where we get to determine the rules. We get to determine exactly how things will work and how our life will go. And Jesus says, no, I want that control. Okay, so if we're supposed to consume the word of God, if we're supposed to take it within us, let go of control, what is the heart change that needs to accompany this idea? The appropriate heart change is that we would bring the word of God into our lives, that we would do something with it, not just read it, not just study it, not just meditate on it, but do something with it. Bring it into the depths of our character, into the depths of our behavior, where it can do some good, where it can enable us and energize us to be of some use to the world around us. There's some problems with that because this requires some honest conversations because there are a lot of ways that we don't want to let go of control. We have, we have our ideas about how things should work and how life should be lived. But sometimes we need the word of God to come alongside and say, no, this is wrong. You have to let go of control. You have to take me within you, conform yourself to me, to the life of Christ, and let go of control. A lot of the times the word of God challenges our own understandings, no matter how mature we think we are in our faith. We think we've got it figured out. But the word of God and this idea of eating says, no, let go of control, embrace trust. We have to trust the chef. Marvin talked about this last week. He is a good God. He has made a good meal for us, both in his son and in his word. We can trust the chef. We can trust the food. 
that he has prepared for us. We can trust it. It is good. It will sustain us. It will lead us to eternal life. And then we have to trust the process, the metabolization process within our bodies. Have you ever thought about what actually happens? What, what are those noodles that I ate a few minutes ago? What are they, what's happening right now? There's a process. I'm sure that there's some scientists in here that know exactly what's happening, maybe even on a molecular level. I don't. I don't have to. I just have to trust it. God made a process here, and I can trust it. I can trust him. I can trust the food. Maybe I can trust the food. But I can trust it. I know I can trust his word. I know that on a spiritual level, I can take that within me, let go of control, let it do its thing, and I'll benefit from it. So will people around me. All right, Mike, I got it. Give me some practicals. Okay. The first practical, this isn't going to be on the screens because I just thought of it this morning. I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, I am, and you haven't done this, I am begging you to read the word of God cover to cover. Just do it. I understand that you're just checking off a list when you do that, and we don't want to just check off lists when it comes to the word of God. We want to apply it to our life. But it is essential that you at least have some bearing on the entirety of the word of God. Now, it takes about 60 hours to read the word of God. I don't have 60 hours, but I could spread it out over a year. I could spread it out over two years. Get the Bible app. Search in the App Store or the Play Store. Search for the Bible app. They all have Bible in a year or Bible in two year programs. Just do it so that you at least are aware you have at least seen the words of the entirety of the Bible. I can't recommend that enough. But don't stop there. Another practical that we can take from this is it might be time to take out some garbage. If you have meals of theologies and doctrines and understanding and you know them inside out, you know how to prepare them, you know how to defend them, you know how to rehearse it, and you, can, you, can, you know this doctrine to the nth degree, but you've never done anything with it, it probably stinks. You might want to just clear it out. Let it go. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's a bad meal. I'm just saying you haven't eaten it. If you haven't done anything with it, you haven't eaten it. Let it go. Get something simple to replace it. Maybe it's time to take out some garbage. Another practical idea would be get rid of junk food. Junk food is, you know, a Snickers bar, a Kit Kat bar, like just a quick nom, 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 nom. And it satisfies the hunger feeling, but it doesn't actually satisfy the hunger need. Okay, what, what are you talking about, Micah? What's, what's junk food? Uh, how about an Instagram reel with a worldly philosophy that sounds really cool and really nice, but actually isn't biblical? Makes you feel better. But it's junk food. You can't live off of that. If all you're getting of your food for the week is a few good ideas on Instagram or on TikTok or YouTube, you're not being nourished. Get rid of junk food. Let it go. You can find some decent food in some of those places in some ways. I mean, Trinity, we're doing podcasts and we're doing 
our, our social media stuff, but it's based on the word of God. You can eat that, but don't eat all that junk food. Let it go. And then the third, this is the obvious one, actually consume something good. I don't care how simple it is. Consume something good. Take one passage, one short verse, one something that the Lord will give you. Ask him, give me something good to eat. And then consume it. Actually eat it. Find a verse, find a passage, and just break it apart and say, what is this for me? How can it change my beliefs? How can it affect the way that I think? How can it affect the way that I behave? And try it. There are a lot of things that we eat that we don't know how to eat. Right? Have you ever sat down with like crab legs and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. I'm going to try it though. Blue crab legs are delicious if you know how to get in there. Try it. You might make a mess. You might get a bunch in your beard. You might get a bunch in your lap. But try it. What do I, what is, what's the analogy here? Find a verse and try it out. Figure it out. Figure out how it works in your life. Don't be afraid to make a mess. Fourth practical would be we can balance out our diets. We can balance out our diets. This is where sometimes we get stuck in these echo chambers of the specific doctrines that we believe and everybody else has got to be wrong. This is where we get stuck in the, the, the Christian arguments about what do we believe about eternal security or what do we believe about the, um, the, the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man or what do we believe about this and that and the other thing. Like, man, get some balance. Get some balance in your life. Don't get stuck with your list of verses that you go to and these are the ones that are true and every other verse that doesn't agree with my verse must be wrong or doesn't mean what it, what it says it means. <laughs> Again, I'm not talking introduce worldly philosophies into your understanding of the word of God. I'm talking about within the word of God, there is tension. It's okay to embrace it. It's okay to embrace things that you can't figure out. The Trinity... Is God one or is he three? I don't know. I just believe it. It's, t- it's, it's a tension. So yes, I believe he has three distinct personalities. He is one God. I don't know how that works, but I'm going to live in balance and believe it. I don't know if it's the sovereignty of God or if it's the free will of man. I, I'm not 100% sure, but they're both in there. They're both out of this one meal, the word of God. And if I want to live in balance, I'm going to look at both and say, yep, that's okay. I can believe both and I can believe that there's tension between the two. Don't get stuck with an imbalanced diet where all you're doing is one, you're one specific sect of this religion and I'm only going to believe that and everybody else is a heretic. If it's in the word of God, it is a reliable, trustworthy source of food. Balance out your diet. And lastly, last practical, probably the most important, do something with the food that you've eaten. Do something with it. If a verse tells you to do whatever Jesus says, 
Do something with it. Try it out. Now, I want to take the last few minutes and see if we can't model this idea of what does it look like to actually consume a meal from the Word of God? And so I prayed about this, and I was like, God, is there anything that I could use as a demonstration? I had some ideas, and I bounced back and forth, and I'm going to go to this passage right here. I'm going to read a familiar passage, and then let's just kind of workshop this, and what would it look like to actually consume this verse, and not just read it, not just hear it, not just memorize it, not just study it, not, med- not just meditate on it, not just write it out. What would it look like to consume it, bring it in? Here's the verse that the Lord gave me for this. It's in 1 John 3, and it's verses 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's unpack this one. How, is this a familiar passage to you? Raise your hand if you're, if you, like, I think I've heard that before. I've, I've heard something like that. We shouldn't just love in word and deed, but maybe in, or word and talk, but in deed and truth. Yeah, this is a, probably a familiar passage. What does it mean? How can we consume it? How can we not just read it? How can we not just study it? How can we not just meditate on it? How could we consume it? Well, let's think it through. Okay. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Okay, that's just like we can understand that, but I don't know that that necessarily gives me anything to do. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Hmm, okay, so there's an ought in here. It's not just a, I should understand this concept. There's a, something I need to do with this verse, right? What, how would our lives look different? If we took that to heart and we said we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and not just understand that verse, not just be able to repeat it and, and say it, what are some things that we could take away from that? I have an idea. What about donating a kidney for a brother who desperately needs one? That might be a way to lay down a part of our life for a brother. That's someone Someone who does that is not just talking about love. They're demonstrating love in deed and in truth. What about laying down our life for us? In, in what state were we when he laid down his life for us? We were his enemies. We were literally the enemies of Christ when he laid down his life for us. Can we think of any enemies in the world today? The world is beating the war drum right now. And I do not like it. And I don't think God does either. You have Palestinians and Israelis hating one another, enemies. You have Ukrainians and Russians hating one another and enemies. You have Taiwan and China hating one another and enemies. And the war drum keeps pounding. Azerbaijan and the Armenians hating one another. Enemies. And 
everyone is getting sucked into this idea of vengeance and war. Could the church possibly have a different message? Could we please, God, I'm begging you, I know you're a God of peace. You laid down your life to have peace with us. Could the church possibly say something other than, yeah, let's go off to war and kill millions more people? I don't know, just a thought. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Again, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This is a meal for us. This is a way we can live our lives. This is a way we can change our thought. This is the way that we can change, ultimately, our behavior. And it goes right back to what Jesus was talking about when he said that his body, his flesh is food, and his blood is drink. He laid down his life for us, and we are designed to consume his life, to consume his word and live it out. It's just an idea. This month, Katie talked about it earlier, we have some next steps that we can all engage in. We have the Discovery Bible Study, the Bible Study Methods Online course, and we're doing the Do One Thing Daily Devotional then they have the Marvin Jr. doing the Bible as a food workshop. All of these resources are available at weirdtrinity.com forward slash do one thing. Do hyphen one thing, okay? Check it out. But do not just consume the word of God in terms of getting it into your head. Get it into your life, into your, let it metabolize in your soul and do something with what you read. That's all I have. The elders and the prayer team will be down here after the service. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you and bless you in that way. So if the elders would come forward and the prayer team, I'm gonna pray and then we're dismissed. Father, it is a, it's quite the challenge to relinquish control of our lives, of our philosophies, of our agendas, and to just trust you, to trust that we can actually consume the things that you have said, the life that you poured out in your son. We can take that, we can ingest it, and it can become eternal life to us. But our flesh, our agenda, rages against the sacrifice that you've made. And Father, as much as I can, I just acknowledge that almost universally we need a deep sense of repentance. That we would trust your word. That we would trust how you've prepared it. And you, we would trust the process that you have established for us to consume it. And God, I pray that you would amplify our appetite for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, every soul, every spirit that has heard your word today, that it would become fertile soil, and that it would be planted deep, and that we would be different people because we've consumed what you've had to say. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you, friends. I love you. You're dismissed.